yeah, I'm not really dressed for preaching as far as a lapel is concerned. So I'm going to use a mic today. <laughs> Amen. Well, normally you start with a joke or something, but I have a verse. So I feel like I'm doing transition, but I have to have a message at the same time. So um, in James 5, 7, it says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And I just felt like all this morning the Lord has really just been putting his finger on our hearts. Because everything else we've talked about, we've talked about people, we've talked about, you know, tithing, being a resource as it relates to reaching the lost. And all these things are true, but ultimately, if God doesn't have our hearts then we'll never do any of those things, even if we have the resources. We'll use them for something else, you know. So <clears throat> today I'm going to be talking about culture. And, you know, we know that Jesus died for people. So he didn't necessarily die for culture. But culture is made up of people. So really he died for culture as well. He died for people. But he died so that we could redeem culture, so that we could reach culture, so that we could reach the lost. So that's really what I'm going to be speaking about today. Um, I'm not really going to go into maybe the how in a really practical sense. I'm not going to, you know, line item, this is how you do it. You know, these are the things that you need to do. But I really want to address, I don't know, I don't know really how to say it, just the heart for culture or the heart of culture. I don't, I don't really know. So I'm just going to start, amen? So we know if we look around, we see that the culture has gained influence, and the church really in a lot of ways has lost a lot of its influence. Now, we still have influence, but for the most part, as far as culture is concerned, we've, we've kind of lost our influence. And this is not what I'm talking about, so this is going to be really short, all right? So just kind of three quick reasons, you know, that, that I feel that the church has kind of lost influence in culture is one, unwillingness or being extremely slow to adapt, meaning that the church, it's easy to get stuck in how things used to be or how things used to look or how things are supposed to be done. And culture is, you know, 20 years ahead and we're 20 years in the past. Two, um, a lessened heart for the law. So somehow the focus shifted off of the gospel, the simple gospel, onto something else, you know, whatever it is, self-help, I mean, whatever. But if there's a shift off of the gospel, then obviously we've lost culture. And then there's this aspect where ministers are seen as the ones that are doing the work versus every member, a minister, every member of the body, a part of the priesthood. We're all believers, and we all have the Holy Spirit, and we all are commissioned by the king to do the things of the kingdom. So I think those three things are, you know, maybe in a general sense, how the church has lost influence and culture, but that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. So first I want to start with belonging. I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about belonging, um, being real, and influence. And I guess just to kind of preface the whole thing, people are longing to belong. Every person is born with this desire that they long to belong. They long to be a part of something, a family. They, they, they just want to belong. Um, 
Brene Brown has a quote. I don't know if many of you know who she is, but she is. Uh, she has a PhD, and uh, she studies, I think it's social work or something like that. But anyways, <clears throat> she says that the worst feeling in the world isn't being alone. It's being surrounded by people who make you feel alone. And if we're not careful, we can be that to people. I mean, the world can be that to the world. But what I'm saying is, is if we're not careful... We're trying to make people feel like they belong, but we're really not, all right? Um, you know, I look at the life of Jesus. I love reading the Gospels because I, I get to see how God would do it. Just literally, not how just a man of God would do it, but how does God relate to people? How, how does he relate to people in their sin? How does he relate to people in their shortcomings and their failures? And I really believe that people wanted to be around Jesus. So here he is, the Holy One. He's, there's none like him. There's none besides him. But people wanted to be around him. So it tells me that even though he didn't compromise his holiness, people still wanted to be around him, even though they were in sin. You know, so that, I, I say, okay, Jesus, what, what are you doing? What are you saying? How? The, the heart from what you're doing, that's really what I really want to get to because the actions come out of, you know, his heart. So, you know, we see that Jesus was invited to feasts. He was invited to parties. You know, he would go, he would invite himself sometimes, you know, and they would say, hey, okay, you can come. You know, I mean, that's, you definitely have some, you know, weight with someone's heart when, when you can just invite yourself to their house and they say, okay, let come on in. So I think there's three things um, to me, that speak of that, that speak to this desire to belong, and I think Jesus did this, and I think Jesus somehow was able to say, or people were able to feel, "I see you, I acknowledge you, and I accept you." Now, I have some pictures up there that are obvious what they are, and. If we're not careful, we don't see the person. So I highlighted you in each of them. I see you. I acknowledge you. I accept you. If we can't separate the person from where they're at in life, whatever bondage it is, whatever sin it is, then really what you're saying is, is I see your sin. I acknowledge your failure, you know. I don't accept, you know, your lifestyle. That's what we're saying. So when that's what we're saying, then the person, they're feeling, well, you don't accept me. You don't, you don't even listen to me. You don't even care at all. So aren't you supposed to be Christian? You know what I'm saying? Like they, that, That's the standpoint they come. So obviously they're looking for us to tolerate or whatever, and I understand that. But at the end of the day, Jesus did this. So, you know, with Zacchaeus, you know, who climbs up a tree, Jesus says, I see you. <laughs> Come down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to your house. Or with um, Nathaniel. You know, he sends Philip to go get him. And when he comes, he says, I saw you under the tree. I saw you. I see you. He didn't say, I see your sin. 
I, I know what you did yesterday or, you know, whatever. He's saying, I see you. So Jesus was able to connect with people on a personal level and treat them like they're, they're loved, they're human beings. Sin is something that we can deal with. And really, I'll, I'll get to it a little bit later, but sin's already been dealt with. And Jesus knew why he was here to deal with sin, to, to be the payment for it. So really, he operated on the other side of it as though it had already been done. So we really have to be able to separate the sin from the person. And if we can't tolerate pictures, we'll never be able to tolerate people. If we can't tolerate what something looks like, we'll never be able to tolerate the person. And God's called us to tolerate the person. And I'll go even a step further. Somehow Jesus had to tolerate sin. Not just the people. He had to tolerate sin. Just think of this. So here I am. I'm God. I've never known sin, and I never will, at least in the sense of me actually sinning. So I'm leaving heaven, and I'm coming to an earth where everyone is a sinner. All, the, all of them. They're all in sin, okay? And I have to live there for 33 years, and eventually I'm going to die for sin, all right? So if you live somewhere 33 years and everyone there is X, but you're not X, you're Y, then it's, you're going to have to tolerate a lot of X. You know, you're going to have to tolerate a lot of sin. And, you know, Jesus never once, I mean, I can think of one instance, I believe he's talking to his disciples where he says, oh, wicked and perverse generation, how much longer will I be with you? Maybe, maybe the, the cup ran over a little bit, you know, it's like, okay, after 33 years, okay, I just, I'll be able to say this one time. But, you know, we don't see this continually coming out of Jesus. We don't see him saying, oh, my goodness, you're just so wicked and, you know, just so whatever. If he was saying that, who was he saying it to? Religious people. People who saw themselves as holy and righteous in their own eyes, but were, were really just tombs. So, we have to be able to separate people from their sin. If we don't do that then I'll have a word for you, but the word is really addressing sin. And I'm probably missing the heart that God intends for me to have for you, even in the word I'm giving. So I want to look at how Jesus relates to a woman caught in the act of adultery and the Samaritan woman at the well. I'm just going to read these really quickly. Should have had my Bible already open, but... Um, I'm going to start with the woman caught in the act of adultery first. That's in John 4, if you want to follow along. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Where do I want to start? I'll start in verse 4. I love that it says that he needed to go through Samaria. <laughs> I love that. So anyways, we get down. You know, we know that, he, you know, Jesus comes. She's there by, him, by herself. Jesus is there. So one, just as far as relationship is concerned, they really shouldn't be around each other. We have a Jewish man with a Samaritan woman, not just any Samaritan woman, but a woman who's had five husbands. So obviously we see that when the disciples come, they're like, oh, gosh, he's talking to Why is he talking? But nobody, nobody wanted to ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? But I, I want to read this specific thing. You know, so often I've, I've, I've read this, and I remember I listened to something by Chris Vaughn, and it just shook my world. Thank you. 
We see that when Jesus comes to her, Jesus starts to relate to her. Sin is actually one of the very last things that he talks about. And really, he doesn't even address it as though it were necessarily sin. And that's what I want to get to. So I'm just going to read it. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask of him and he would have given you living water. She's like, hey, we got nothing to draw with, you know. Our father gave us, Father Jacob gave us this well. Are you greater than him? And he's like, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And then he says to her, go call your husband and come here. You know, and I've read this so many times. <laughs> and man, when, when I heard Chris Volatin kind of unravel this a little bit. You know, he said, you know, their culture wasn't like our culture today. You know, today a woman can say, you know what, I'm leaving you, buddy. You know, pack your bags and get an uncontested divorce. And that's it. But in their day and age, women didn't have the right to divorce men. So when Jesus is talking to her and says, go call your husband and come here. And she says, you know, I have no husband. And he says, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you've spoken correctly. You have no husband. And the man that you're with isn't your husband. So she's like, well, I think you're a prophet. And then she starts to talk about worship. And she's like, hey, the Jews say we got to worship here. You know, we think we can worship on this mountain. And Jesus says, you know, the time is now coming and now is where those who worship me will worship me in spirit and truth, for the Father is looking for such to worship him. And she says, you know, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. But, but when he talks to her and says, go and get your husband, after he's already connected with her, he doesn't address her sin, but he touches a point of hurt, of pain. Really what he's saying isn't, oh, I know you're a sinful woman. Go get the one that's not your husband now. He's saying to her, I know that five men have put you away, that, that you were married five times, and then they, they wanted nothing to do with you, and the man that you're with right now won't even marry you. I, 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 I know that. I see you. I acknowledge you. I accept you. And we see this exchange that starts with Jesus accepting her, acknowledging her, that leads all the way up to him revealing himself to her as the Messiah. But culturally, you know, he should have never been there. Culturally. So let's look at the woman caught in the act of adultery, John Eight. You know, we see this woman who's caught literally in the act of sin. She's brought to Jesus. Obviously, we know the story. Jesus looks to everyone and says, hey, you know, if, if you guys are without sin, you know, you can cast a stone at her first. They all leave. And Jesus looks at her. Obviously, he's, he sees her. He's acknowledging her as a person. He's accepting her as a person, fully aware of her sin, fully aware. Interestingly enough, fully aware of everyone else's sin who wanted to stone her. <laughs> and he says, you know, where have your accusers gone? They all left, she said. 
He's like, well, I'm choosing not to accuse you either. And then he addresses the sin. Go and sin no more. And I use those two examples. Obviously, there's more. Jesus, I mean, Jesus did this consistently. But Jesus models for us that he does, even though the sin is so, I mean, you have to think, sin was so much more visible to Jesus than it is to us. I mean, it, it was just, he's holy, so everything that's not, he, I mean, it's, it's like I see it. It's obvious. It's all over you. I, I, I can clearly see it. But he didn't just straight up just go and address that and just address it and just sit there and hammer on their sin. He, he connected first with them as a person, that he saw them, that he loved them. So that leads me to the next point is, is being real. Um, culture is longing. People are longing for something real. And if we're not careful, we won't be real. We'll be fake if we're not careful. So I have three things that I really feel like kind of define, at least to me, kind of what it means to be real. And that's to be transparent, to be honest, and to be vulnerable. And, you know, that requires us to talk about real issues. It requires us to get in the mud with people. It requires us to go through junk with people. You know, I look at Cam, and, you know, we've been through some stuff, buddy. You know, we've walked through some mud, you know. But, you know, what God has done through that process, man, you would have never known it. You wouldn't have known that we've walked through that, you know, together. Um, you know, whether it's drugs, sex, lesbianism, homosexuality, you know, being transgender, you know, the whole, you know, who's the popular guy, um, Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner. You know, cutting, molestation, rape, lust, pornography, suicide. I mean, all of these things are real issues, you know, that, that the world is not just willing to talk about, but that's where they're at. That's, you know what I'm saying, what they're talking about. And if we're not careful, we almost relegate that to the world as though we don't have answers for that. Or we say something like, okay, well, Jesus is the answer. Well, that's great. You know, snow is cold, water is wet, the sky is blue until it's not, until there's clouds in the sky, until it's raining or there's a thunderstorm. Then our, our cliche, the sky is blue or Jesus is the answer, doesn't work. It works. The sky's still blue if you could get the clouds out of the way, but life brings clouds, all right? Life brings snow and rain and all those other things. So we have to be real. We have to be open, honest, and transparent and vulnerable with people about where we're at, where we've been at, what God has brought us through, what he's done in us, so that people are able to say, oh, okay, it's just not roses are red and flowers are blue. You know, not flowers are blue. <laughs> roses are red. What's the, what is it? Violets are blue. There we go. I was like, man, flowers are blue. I guess there is a blue flower. <laughs> I want to say the sky is blue, but I'm like, that's not it. I know it. Um, I know. I'm sorry. I'm a yank. <laughs> so we need to have practical, real life, not only implications, but applications of the gospel. 
So the gospel is good news. It's not fake news. It requires us to be real. It's not fake news. But if we're not real, then people think it's just, it's just fake. It's just a show. It's just religion. But it's not. You know, Paul says, and what is it, Romans 116 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You know in James 5:16 it says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. And you know so often I feel that as Christians a lot of times we don't really sometimes I ask the question do we even have faults, you know? Um and I think from the world standpoint, if we're not careful, if we put on the perception that we don't, then they use this word that starts with an H. You know, and they, they label us hypocrites because we're not being real. We're not being honest. We're not being vulnerable or transparent about where we've been at and where we're at. So they're just like, eh, whatever. You know, so-and-so says X, Y, Z, but they're ABC, you know. Um... You know, when I ask that question, do we even have faults? Sometimes this quote comes into my mind where Bill Johnson says, faith doesn't deny a problem exists. It simply denies it a place of influence. What that says to me, or at least the application of it to what I'm talking about, is that I can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but still be in process. I can be his righteousness, yet in and of myself, yet not be perfect. So if I see those two things, then I'm able to declare the truth, but at the same time, be real <laughs> about where I'm at or where I've been at. Um, another verse, and this is just an application of this verse. This isn't exactly what the verse is talking about in context. But Revelations 12:11 says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And I see this as speaking of not just that specific situation, but I also refer it, I also believe that it's referring to those who would become saved through testimony of Jesus, of who he is, who he's been, because otherwise it's just the book. I mean, I'm just reading this apart from, okay, well, who is Jesus to you? What has he done in your life? What has he done in your life? What has he done in your life? Apart from that, then I'm just reading what he did 2,000 years ago. You're like, there's no practical application of, well, how does that affect me today? Who else is it affecting? Is it affecting anybody? You know, I, I think just as far as testimony is concerned, you know, I was thinking, and I don't say this to our, our detriment, but, you know, I really, I've been here two years, and I don't really know many people's testimony even in this church. I just don't. I don't know where you've been, you know. I mean, I know like the bits and pieces just a little here and there maybe of just aspects of it, but I, I don't, you know. And again, I don't say that to our shame, but I'm just saying I don't know. <laughs> and I go here, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying how we act here is how we're going to act out there, but, you know, Maybe a little bit, you know. Um, 
So I wanted to share my testimony of where God has brought me from today. Just short. It's not going to be long. Because ultimately, I'm not talking about the sin I was in as much as who delivered me out of it, you know. Um, so, you know, as a kid, you know, I, I went through some stuff. You know, I was molested as a child at a really young age, probably around five. You know, and that, that, that's the enemy's way of depositing seed. He deposits something that it's not growing yet, but it takes a while. Um, if that thing's not uprooted it eventually grows. So, you know, as a teenager, I, I really struggled with identity. I really struggled with who am I? You know, I struggled with homosexual thoughts. I struggled with, I don't know who I am. I, and I don't know Jesus, so maybe the world has answers. Because a lot of things that you go through, especially as a teenager, you probably don't want to talk to your parents about. Or you don't feel as though you're able to. So you just walk that thing out best you can, and, well, that's, you know, obviously not a safe place. That's where the enemy, that's where the enemy feeds. That's where he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. But anyways, you know, I'm just going through this whole process of not knowing who I am, struggling with all these thoughts and desires and temptations, and clear as, you know, clear as glass, I can remember when the Lord delivered me from that. I can remember when I gave my life to him right before my 20th birthday, and he had been stirring things in me. He had been, you know, starting to wash me. I wasn't there yet, but he was starting that process of really the Holy Spirit discipling me, the Holy Spirit setting me apart. I'm starting to read the word and, and things. I'm just like, wow, I'm disgusting, <laughs> you know, like as far as sin is concerned. I mean, obviously I hadn't, got, I hadn't got yet to, you know, who I was in him, but just looking at myself, through the mirror of the word and saying, this isn't good, you know. I mean, I thought of myself higher than I had ought to. You know, I, I was self-righteous in my own eyes. I would look at other people and say, wow, I mean, this stuff really stinks. You know, my hands are bad, you know. I mean, they're, they're really bad. And they go to church. Like, I'm manageable, you know, and I don't go to church. So, I mean, it's got to be better, right, you know. So we, we, we get in these little mindsets, you know, when we're off and the enemy's speaking lies and, you know, saying whatever to us because, you know, we're not in truth. We're not even around truth. But like I said, I, I can remember just as clear as day, you know, when the Lord delivered me from that. And, you know, I've been walking with the Lord, oh, my goodness, what is that, 11 years? It'll be 12, you know, this September that I've been walking with the Lord, and I've never looked back. It's not to say that I haven't stumbled. It's not to say that there haven't been things that have tried to come back in my past. It has, it's not to say any of those things. But the Lord's faithful, you know. And in order to reach a generation that's dealing with the same things, you know, it's not just whether it's, you know, homosexual, whatever. It's whether it's you're on drugs, and you've, you know, you you getting high is like drinking caffeine or, you know, drinking a Coke, you know, I mean, whether it's, when it, whatever it is, or, or whether, you know, you've went from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. I mean, whatever it is, the world's looking for people who are able to say, I've been there. I see you. I acknowledge you. I accept you. This is where I was at. This is what the Lord brought me from. 
This is what he's doing in your life. This is what he wants to do in your life. And in, in doing that, it gives them the opportunity to latch their faith on to who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do. And they say, hey, he did that for you. Like, will he do that for me? Sure he will. And that's that aspect to me of just sharing testimony that says it brings, he's not bound to a book, all right? But as far as culture is concerned, testimony takes him out of a book and it makes him real. You know, people can argue with your theology. And they can even argue with your testimony, but they have no basis to argue with it. This is what he did in my life, period. You can argue if you want to. I'm just telling you what he did. Now, whether or not you agree with sprinkling or dunking and baptism or whatever, I don't care. But this is what he did in my life. And that's what the culture is looking for. That's what people are longing for. So, you know, I, I just put this in here. You know, if we've been purchased and bought by his blood, then that means that not only are we no longer our own, but our testimony isn't either. It means that we don't own it. It's his. So that leads me to influence. You know, uh, I think I put, did I spell his name right up here? Go, go to the next slide. No, it's not Brandon Barker. It is Brinson Barker, all right? And now he probably took it from somebody, but um, <laughs> it's a shout out to, uh, I don't know. Anyways, okay, so he says, people don't know how much, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And man, if that doesn't speak influence to me, at least to my heart, as far as it relates to culture, I don't know what else does. You'll never have influence in someone in someone's life relationally until they know that you care. They don't, I mean, they're not really going to care what you have to say. And I believe that Jesus modeled this perfectly. I believe that he did. Somehow they felt, okay, he cares. Like he sees me, he acknowledges me, he accepts me. But, but doesn't he see all this junk? Like I got all this junk. I got all this sin. I got all this baggage. Yet he, didn't, he hasn't even addressed that yet. Like he's talking to me like I'm a person, not just a sinner. So, you know, the lost are lost, <laughs> but Jesus says that we're the light of the world. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in how dark darkness is that we forget that, that darkness has no impact on light. Light impacts darkness. You know, if I, if I were to turn on, let's see if it, if I were to turn on this little light, I mean, y'all can all see that, right? But the more lights I turn on, this is going to become less bright compared to all the other light. If I go outside, it's even brighter outside. This light's not very bright. But if the atmosphere becomes dark, if I turn off all the lights, we wait, you know, it gets to 9 p.m., 10 p.m. tonight, this is going to be really bright. You'll be able to see, see your way around, you know, open stuff. I mean, you probably light up most of this area, to be honest with you. So why do we focus on darkness? Well, why do we look around at culture and say, man, it's getting really dark. It's getting bad. Well, it's darkness. What is it supposed to do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, people are lost. They're going to do lost things. Like, we shouldn't. That shouldn't be what bothers us. What bothers us should be the fact that
God looks at us, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You, not the world, you are the light of the world. So, okay, there's darkness. Just be light. As it gets darker, this light didn't change. It's the same lumens. Whatever lumens it is, it's the same. As the darkness around it gets darker, it seems brighter. But it hasn't changed. So if we just be light, then it doesn't matter. If it gets darker, we're just like, well, it's just brighter in here. I think we get bent out of shape because it's dark. Rather, it should, we should get bent out of shape that, it, that, that there's, not, there's not the level of light there should be. And the world's not, that's not their fault. The world's looking for light. They're looking for salt. Like they're looking for something to give life flavor. And that's us. You know, you can see light at night, just light bulbs from space. You can see them from space. Even if there's clouds in the way, you can still see them through the clouds. It's all right. Um, I want to read out of, I don't think I even put this one, but it's first. Oh, I got the verse right here. Never mind. All right, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I think this is a really interesting verse, and I'm going to get into, how much time do I got? I got time. All right, so this is Paul talking to the church. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world, who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slander or a drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? This is Paul speaking. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the body of Christ? Are you not to judge those on the inside? God will judge those on the outside. Um, I remember when I was in the military, and it's probably still popular now, but, you know, obviously a lot of military people don't know Jesus, and a lot of the guys like to get tattoos. So um, the tattoo they would get is, it would say, only God can judge me. And it's funny that even as I read that verse, there's an element of truth to that, or really it should say only God should be judging me. I'm lost. I'm in the world. Like, you should be loving me, not accept, not, not, not saying, okay, I love your sin. Uh, obviously, we're going back to like we said in the beginning. But there's an element of me tolerating what you're doing in order to love you as a person. You know, if I'm going to be close to you, if you stink, I don't have to deal with stink. I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. You know what I'm saying? I have to tolerate it if I'm going to be around you. So, I really... I really feel like the Lord wants us to get that. That there is such a way that out of our heart that we're able to separate the sin versus the person, but at the same time, versus the person, yet at the same time, acknowledge the person, accept the person in the midst of their sin. You know, we're called to redeem culture, and that requires us to be in it, not of it, but in it. 
It requires us to be in the culture, in it. I, I really believe God desires for us to change every aspect of culture, every aspect of it. It shouldn't be culture that defines culture. We should be defining it. I mean, music doesn't come from the world. I mean, and I don't necessarily even like this, so to speak. I'm like, God's the originator of music, not Satan. It doesn't matter whether or not theologically believe that he was in some, you know, heavenly choir or whatever. I mean, ultimately, it originated with God. Like, God's the musician. He's the artist. He's the doctor. He's the everything. He's the architect. He's, I mean, everything that we almost kind of lift up in this world, it originates in him. Like, he's the creator, meaning that nothing that exists, existed apart from him. And it says that everything that was made was made with the Son. That's what it says in the beginning of John. So, if we're king's kids, and that person, the one who did everything, and is, is the originator, inventor of all of this stuff, like, we should be the ones that are determining what culture looks like. What, 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 what music people are listening to. I mean, all of that stuff. But if we look at those things as being secular almost, like, oh, well, that's the world's domain. Well, then we'll never redeem it. We'll never have influence in it. Because that's, we've allowed the enemy to take it, and now it's his. Yeah, here you go. We'll do whatever we do. You know what I'm saying? Whatever Christian thinking we do, that's what we'll do, you know. I want to I wanna share a little... A little story to be quick. I was talking to this guy one day about the appearance of evil. Older gentleman. I don't know, maybe in his late 40s, 50s. And um, he shared a story with me. Um, he, he had went, I think he was in the military at one point in time. But anyways, he had went to a, like a pub, you know what I'm saying? And he had just got a beer. He's a Christian. And, you know, he's just, he's drinking a beer with his friend. And somebody comes up and it's like, hey, what are you doing? You drinking a beer? Like, you're a hypocrite. I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing? And he was like, see, right there, that was, that was the appearance of evil. And I was like, mm, not necessarily. But I'm listening. I'm listening to the man. He's an older gentleman, so I'm giving him honor. I'm giving him honor. So... I share a story with him about really something similar that occurred with me. So here I am. This is uh, about 2009. Um, I'm in this training program where it's like it's intensive training. and You've got like a select group of people that you're going to be with in this training the whole time. So I'm sitting next to this guy and we're, you know, doing work. And, you know, day after day, I see this guy over and over again. So he's like, hey, man, you want to you want to go to the you know, bar, it wasn't like really a bar, like more like a pub. And I was like, you know, the, the little religious angel popped up. And then on the other side, it was like the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, all right, I have a choice to make. What am I going to do? And just something rose up in me that said, yeah, dude, I'll go to the, I'll go to the pub. I'll go to the, you know, the bar with you if you go to church with me. And he was like, I'm pretty sure the same thing rose up in him. was like, do I really want to go to church? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Okay, we'll do it, you know. So I held up my end of the bargain. He held up his. So anyways, I go in, and I get one drink. One, all right? And it's like a girly drink. I mean, it's like, you know, some type of liquor with, like, some pineapple juice or something in it. And I literally, that's what I have the whole night. 
and it's a late night. Um, but the whole time, okay, so I have faith that I can drink this, that it's not sin, but at the same time, I'm like, man, what if somebody sees me from church? You know, I'm helping out with the young adults. What are they going to say? People are going to think I'm in sin. You know what I'm saying? I'm like thinking what Paul says, you know, you know, uh, I won't even eat meat again if it causes a brother to stop. I mean, I'm just going through all this stuff, you know, and it's really not the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's the enemy just trying to really get me in bondage, to be honest with you. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, but anyways, so, you know, my friend, uh, he gets a little, a little drunk. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not for that. But it was really easy to talk to him about Jesus, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, people who are a little lighthearted are a lot easier to talk to. I mean, really. Um, and again, I'm not advocating alcohol. I'm not advocating getting drunk, okay? I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> I almost want to say lighten up a little bit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, if Jesus' first recorded miracle was turning water into wine, yes, wine, not grape juice, all right? And then the, the person who's overseeing the feast says, look, normally they save the inferior wine for last after everyone's well drunk, meaning drunk. After everyone's drunk, then they give the watered down stuff. But you, and there was, I mean, I felt like the Holy Spirit really put his finger on this, and I still don't have it, but it's coming, all right? I really feel like there's something in this. When he says, but you have saved the best for last. There's something in that, and I, I can't put my finger on the fullness of it, even as it relates to the context of Jesus turning water into wine. But him saying that you've saved the best for last. And obviously we know that, you know, we are not going to be made perfect apart from those who have already passed and gone to be with the Lord. And there's, you know, the fullness of God pouring out his spirit in the last days, all these things. But there was something about you've saved the best for last. But anyways, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I go, talk to my friend. He comes to church, and now, I mean, we're best friends. He's a Christian. I mean, just this whole thing that transpired, but there was this religious demon I had to get past that says, well, what if, what about, what, 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 what? And I want to answer the question that I asked myself as it relates to Paul. You know, Paul, okay, so let me rewind. Back in the day, obviously, there was a lot more animal sacrifice. So that they would sacrifice meat to, or an animal to a god, and then they would sell that meat, okay? So they were able to get that at a discounted price for the most part. It would be like, think Walmart meat cut in half, you know, versus going to Publix and buying meat. So if you're on a budget, maybe, you're like, hey, I'm just going to go buy the meat that was sacrificed to an animal. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, those idols are nothing. They're not real, so I'm just going to bless it, thank God for it, need it. But, you know, Paul says, well, uh, I'm not going to do that if there's a brother who's weak in his faith. Like, I'm, I'll say I won't even eat meat at all if it causes a brother or sister to fall. And what I feel like the Lord really separated from me in that, that really kind of delivered me as far as related to the appearance of evil and if you look up the rest of those versions, it actually says free all types of evil. It doesn't really, appearance just appears in the King James Version. But if we're not careful, I'm trying to look a certain way for religious people. I'm trying to look a certain way for the world. Like, if I go to Flash Foods and I get a monster, guess what we're going to put it in? A brown bag. Well, what else comes in? Brown bags. 
alcohol. And actually, my monster is a brown bag with a can in it. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like, well, you know, I'm just going to take it out of the bag so people don't think I got alcohol. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? But my heart should be, I don't want a brother to stumble. Okay. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, let's go get a, a drink if the person just struggles with alcohol or just got out of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to do that. that. That's me using my liberty to cause someone else to fall. Paul says, I'd never eat meat again. I mean, that's, that's strong. That means I'm vegetarian for the rest of my life. I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so we need, to, we need to be able to separate that in and of ourselves, separating, you know, is that thing coming up in me that says, okay, should I or shouldn't do that? Am I doing this for religious people or am I doing this because I, I genuinely don't want a brother to stumble or to fall? I say all that, all right, this is, this is why I say all that. This is why I gave the story and all that. If we're not careful, all right, what we'll do is, and, and religion is really good at doing this, we will sell someone something, and we'll call it freedom, but it's legalism, and it's bondage, all right? So I, this is what I said. I said, we need to be fully assured of the freedom that we have in Jesus so that we're not selling people bondage or legal, legalism disguises holiness. Did I put sealing? No. Yeah, I put sealing, selling. Holiness doesn't mean I don't do anything. Holiness means I'm set apart to God. I'm set apart. I'm in the world. I'm not of the world. But if we're not careful, what we become is we become sterile, meaning we're not producing anything. We're, we've said, okay, culture's over here, and I can't redeem any of it. It's just got to, it's lost, it just stays over there, you know? I mean, hey, I mean, there's people who dogmatically say, well, you know, um, you know, drinking is a sin. I say, well, I mean, I don't see it in my Bible, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to debate with you over it. I just don't see it. I, I don't. Um, and I'm not an alcoholic by any means, all right? I just want to let you guys know that I'm not preaching on this just to, you know, to say, okay, now I can do whatever. No, that's not me. I've never gotten drunk in my life, and by the grace of God, I never will. Um, but I don't want to sell someone bondage. I don't want to sell someone bondage that says you can't drink. It's bondage. That's what it is. All right, so let me wrap up. Culture consists of people. People long to belong. And those people are looking for what's real, what's genuine. They're looking for us to be vulnerable, open, honest, transparent. Um, they're looking for us to be able to look at them regardless of where they're at or, 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 or what their lifestyle is, and say, I see you, I accept you, I acknowledge you. The Holy Spirit will give us what to say. We're not the conviction police. We're not. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. He will. 
He will. And if it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance or to change their mind, then we really have to be careful with what we say to people. Because the people, people are, like I read, the, the very first thing I read, J- James 5, 7, the lost are the precious fruit of the earth, and the farmer waits patiently for them to receive the, the early and the latter rain. Belonging and being leads us to having that influence relationally in people's lives. So I just want to pray. Father God, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you that you see us, <laughs> that you saw us, and that you didn't just leave us there. You came for us. And, Father, in spite of how dark the world is, light is so much brighter. And I thank you that you, you look at us and you say, you are the light of the world. Just be light. Don't, don't focus on the darkness. If, if you shine light there, then they'll see it. Father, I thank you that you desire for us to be real with people. To just be honest and open and vulnerable with them. To let them know, hey, this is where I've been. This is what the Lord's brought me through. And he wants to do the same for you. I thank you that, 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 that your word says that you place the lonely into family. And that's the world. They're lost. They're lonely. And your heart is for them to be in family. And we're your body. And I thank you that that as our heart (laughs) lines up with yours, we'll have influence in people's lives. Doesn't matter where they're at, doesn't matter where they come from, doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. If we'd love them, then we'd have a position to speak into and by your spirit to help change their lives. Father, you are the one. You're the one that will redeem culture through us. And we declare that that there will be in it, but not of it. Hmm. Father, I lift up the names on the board. (laughs) One of my friends, the person who I put on there, texted me. (laughs) He's, uh, y'all can open your eyes. He's um, a friend from China. His name is Zikun. He was at church today. He was sending me just pictures of uh, random Bible pages. <laughs> you know, but, but, but God's allowed me to plant a seed in his life. And that tree's starting to grow. Hasn't quite produced fruit yet, but the tree's visible. The tree's visible. (laughs) So, Father God, I just, I thank you for the names that we put on there. I thank you that that, that you desire them to know you more than we do. You desire them to be walking with you more than we do. 
And we declare that they will be, that they are in Jesus' name. (laughs) They will know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ who you sent. And Father, we we just lift up our heart and we just align it with you. We align it with yours for the lost, for people, for people. And we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So be it. So be it. You got anything? I just wanted to, uh, you know, he said that Jesus was where he shouldn't be. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, if you want to move people to where they should be, you're probably going to have to go where you shouldn't be. In other words, where the culture says you shouldn't be or where religion says you shouldn't be. And then and then he was talking about that darkness, you know, that darkness is not an individual entity of itself, just the absence of light. And I texted him, but he didn't see it. No one needs a flashlight in the middle of the day. We're called to be lights. No one needs a flashlight in the daytime. When do they need a flashlight? When, does the, when is light needed? In darkness. So go let your little light shine. And it will have great influence in the places of darkness that God has you in. Amen? Yeah. I just heard the Lord say to me, um, you know that family member that I've been telling you about, that when you go over there, they smoke in their house, and it stinks, and I don't smoke, and we don't smoke in our house, and so when I go inside a place that they smoke in there, when I come out my clothes, my hair, it just stinks, and then when you go get in your car, you're just riding home, you're just like, I smell like marble lights, and I like want to gag. But God said, you know what you got? You got shampoo. He said, you got a shower, and I got a nice shower with two heads. Glory be to God. He said, you can go home and you can take a shower. And what what you give them, that seed that you give them, nothing will be able to wash that off. But that stench, that smell, that thing that you think that you can't handle, God says, I got you in that. He says, I got you in that. So I just sense that, you know, that might be the place where you've, you've been feeling like you need to go. But you know what? They, they smoke inside or they, you know, they don't take baths that much or they have a lot of bad language that you can't tolerate and handle. You know what? Just pray yourself up and pray over them that when you get there, you know what? They might talk like that all the time, but when you show up, they might be like, you know what? I'm just going to, I, for whatever reason, feel like I'm supposed to honor and not use those words or or when they slip up. I mean, my uncle does it all the time. He'll like say, where he'll be, oh my gosh, let me say that, you know, because of the girls or whatever, because me and Lawrence will be like punching him and like, my kids are here. Dude, don't say that. He'll be like, okay, darn, or the, uh, you know, he, he catches it like you see him like want to do something that he doesn't do before. It's just because I'm there, because I'm standing there. I'm watching my uncle catch himself or not want to say something that he normally, if he was with his bros and they were on the patio at Chili smoking and drinking, they'd be F-bombing and B-bombing and B-bopping or whatever that they normally, you know, just it flows and it's fine but if I'm there or my children are there he tends to be more reserved so that that you have 
he, he must feel he should be some kind of way, not because of a religious way, but just because I feel like that's God saying, I got you. I got you. I know how you are. I know you're sensitive to this. I know your heart's sensitive in this and your ear's sensitive to this. Or you can't see this or feel that or say that. But I just feel like God's saying, I got you. I would not have given you a word to go if I didn't already have you. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you for Cornell. We thank you for the word that he brought, Father God. That, Lord, that... Whatever is in you stirring, I hear the Lord saying, get in the Word of God. You get that scripture. You get yourself built up. You say, is this truth or is this true? And I just feel God saying, you stir yourself in me and you will know. And I just thank you, Lord, that these words, that this, the tongue, the power of the words that came off of his mouth, Father God, today just is just residing into our city. It's just out and about. And we're just saying, we are not in a box. We are not in a box that we recognize. We recognize what the enemy tries to say is on us, is on our people, is in our community. And we say, no, we recognize we are not ashamed. We are not hiding. We are not up under anything that we are out we are about and we're saying we are here we have power we have testimonies we're here to help you we're here to help show you that God wants you to have a life of freedom not because he wants you to say oh I live this way where now I don't smoke cigarettes or I don't you know drink a case of beer every night no he wants you to feel like I am living I have life I have freedom I have joy I'm not under under these chains anymore I'm not feeling like I want to kill myself anymore I'm not feeling like nobody wants to love me I don't feel like I'm dirty that I'm not worthy that you feel like I am the head I am not the tail that you feel like you were a powerful woman that you feel like you're a powerful man that you can do what God has called you to can that you could do that he said that you can go into the workplace and you know what I can't be this I can get a promotion I can do this I cannot feel like I didn't get any sleep last night because I feel defeated because I feel ashamed God says he has come so that you will not have that. And that is what we all feel. We are built up. Cornell built us up. We are ready to go out. We're going to go this week. We're going to go Wednesday night. We're going to bring forth what God wants us to bring forth. We're going to say that we are here to do what God calls us to do, to be what this culture needs us to be. Amen. Amen. Yo, I'm, I'm uh, the Lawrence brother for y'all of those that don't know me. Um, I'm not good at speaking in crowds, but, but I hear him talking about the darkness. And I just want to say something. Um, I'm one of those few that's been in the dark. I've been down pretty low. And um, thanks to... All of y'all, all the people in this church... No matter how dark it got, I always saw a light. Always. There was always a flashlight coming from my family. And no matter how dark it got, I could always see that. So I knew my way. Now, I may not get there as fast as they wanted me to get there or, or everybody else, but nevertheless, I got there. I'm there. I see the light. I'm, 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 I'm here now. And I just wanted to say that for y'all, those that are, that are in the dark, just, just know that if you'll look, that light's there. Your family, your friends, everybody, it's there. 